0: We can err in one of two ways here with that experience, that common experience. First, fleshly ambition can come up when you have a sense of calling to teach God's word that can cause us to try to bulldoze our way into an opportunity. Young men, especially, can obsess over the position of pastor and pulpit, right? Because we look up to our pastors and we see that as a very honorable position. And and there's some glory there, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we watch the pastor up on stage and he gets. The glory and part of our flesh wants that. But let me just say this to you, and I'm not saying that's not something that women struggle with, but, but especially in our tradition, like men want to be pastors when they feel that sense of calling. Let me just say this really clearly. If God's called you, he will open the doors of opportunity in his timing. You don't have to try to kick them open. Young men and women, if you've sent a call to leadership and or preaching, I would say right now, Your primary focus needs to be less on the function of that calling and more on the character that qualifies you for that calling.
1: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 285. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice that you just heard is that of our guest for this week. It's my dear friend, Clay Worrell. Uh, Clay currently serves as the executive director of Calvary Global Network. He has uh, pastored two different churches in two different continents, and he joined us in Boise, Idaho back in October of 2022. And in this main session talk, he speaks about the importance of mentoring relationships in all aspects of Christian life and ministry, but specifically honing in on the need of younger and newer Bible teachers and preachers to have the voices and the experience and the wisdom of older and more practiced and learned preachers in their life to help steward their giftedness so that more people can be served and helped. There's a panel discussion that takes place immediately afterwards. And Clay is joined by Pastor Troy Drake, who leads Calvary Meridian in Idaho, and also Tucker Mayle, who leads Calvary Boise, and Brian Broderson from Calvary Costa Mesa. Uh, They answer questions from the audience and get incredibly practical uh, in the second half Well, hey, speaking of these interactive opportunities, uh, I wanna say that we're coming up really close to our next in-person training event. This is gonna take place in Temecula, California, which is in the very south of Riverside County. And the speakers list and the group leader, the coaching list is pretty top tier. Uh, There's gonna be some familiar names who will be speaking up from the front. Uh, people that maybe you've seen at previous gatherings or have heard on the podcast. Uh, people like Dr. John Whitaker, Dr. Alan Stoddard, Nick Cady, and myself. But we're also incorporating some brand new voices like limited edition, uh, as in like this event is the only chance you're going to get to hear from them. So uh, Dr. Jim Wilson, he's going to be speaking about the power of expository preaching, and Wesley Town is going to speak about developing a sermon preparation rhythm, as well as the overlap between Christian ministry and mental health. You see, all of this is because we really want to serve you, we want to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. So in the show notes of this episode, there's a link to register for August 11th and 12th in Temecula, California for our next in-person training event. We're also coming to Indianapolis in October and the details can be found in the show notes and then also on our website, expositorscollective.com. All right. Here's Clay World on Preaching Mentorships.
0: 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says this, Paul writing to Timothy, says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, I was assigned the topic, as Mike just said, of uh, preaching mentorship for this collective. I've done this once before. Um, I really am am glad to have this topic because mentorship in general, preaching mentorship being part of that, is something that I'm super passionate about. I'm passionate about mentorship because I believe wholeheartedly that I would not be the man I am today, and I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today today. had the ministry that I've had, were it not for the mentors that I've had in my life. I've had some amazing men invest in me over the years. When I was saved as a young teenager, uh, my youth pastor was a guy named Dave Lomas in Bakersfield, California, and uh, he immediately took me under his wing and started meeting with me. Back then in the late 90s, we called it discipleship. Maybe we still do sometimes, but it was mentorship, I went to Bible college and went through the two years at Calvary Chapel Bible College, and then I did an internship uh, under a guy named Rod Thompson, who is a hero of mine as well. He was one of the early Calvary Chapel guys to go to Europe, and he was the missions guy in Marietta at the time. And um, that man spoke into my life uh, in such a significant way. Then when I went over to Ireland to, um, with aspirations to plant my first church, uh, I was blessed to connect with this guy named Andy Nugent, who uh, was Irish, is an Irish pastor who welcomed me to serve under him for a couple years before I went out to plant. And, and he was a great and still is a great mentor of mine. And then Brian Broderson, this man over here, uh, throughout, well, the last um, 15 years has been a mentor to me, sometimes from afar and now from quite close. Um, Each one of these men at various times saw something in me, Uh, even though most of the times these relationships started, I was a foolish, immature boy, really, that thought he was a man. But they identified a call and they saw something that I think the Holy Spirit revealed and they were willing to invest in me. And because of that, now I have a passion. I'm still a young man, but I have a passion to invest in the next generation of gospel ministers because of my experience and also because I believe that this is a scriptural call. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do just want to point out really briefly that this call to mentorship is actually biblical. Um, Jesus called his disciples to follow him, right? You see it in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, amongst other places, and they're called disciples, right? Disciples were simply learners that followed teachers, not unlike an apprentice today. Clearly, with, with the disciples of Christ, there was more than just a teacher-learner relationship, but there was a life-sharing that took place. They left everything, they followed Jesus, and they did life together. Jesus' model for ministry that we saw in his life on this earth was a model of mentorship truly it was through mentorship through life on life interaction that he equipped his first followers for the work of the ministry that he had for them and then as christ finished his earthly ministry he went to the cross and to the grave and then he was raised by the power of uh, of god um, right before he ascended to heaven you remember he gave a commission to a universal commission to all of his followers, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And and remember what he said, it says it there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission truly is a call on our us, the followers of Jesus, to do what Jesus did with his disciples. It's to make disciples. It's to teach. It's a call. I would submit to you to to mentorship. And you've you've heard it say before, the Great Commission does not stop with evangelism. It necessarily continues on to making disciples. So um, as a blanket statement, I would say this. This is kind of a blanket statement. I would say the call of a follower of Jesus is a call to be a disciple making disciples, right? You've probably heard that before. Um, I would say that in a different way. I would say this as well. The call on a follower of Jesus is to both be a mentee and be a mentor, no matter what stage of life you are. And it's kind of cool because I actually have, I mentioned Brian, one of my mentors in the room today. And then I have one of my mentees. This is Blake. If you guys have met met Blake and Zach and and Brett as well. But Blake and I actually meet every week and I'm actively mentoring him. And so this is something I believe something that I'm I'm practicing as well. Um, So we're going to talk about preaching mentorship, though. If you look in your book, you'll see there's a sentence in there about mentorship. If you still have your little blue books, it says this says, a preaching mentorship includes a worthy mentor who takes the time to offer input, opportunities, and feedback to a willing mentee who works hard to steward what is entrusted to them. That's the statement on mentorship in the book. I didn't write it. I think Pilgrim probably wrote it, but I think it's a really good sentence. And I think the way that it starts is actually insightful. says, a preaching, min- preaching mentorship includes a worthy mentor. A worthy mentor. And I I think that idea of a mentor being worthy is significant because the nature of a mentor, as we kind of talked about already, is is not just a teacher, but also an example setter. Isn't that true? So, So there's actually quite a bit of weight that is on a mentorship relationship and that is on a mentor as they fulfill that role. Your mentee, if you are a mentor, will look up to you. I remember when I was a young believer, I was probably 17, 16, 17 years old, Dave Lomas, who was was mentoring me at the time, um, he was like my hero, you know, I looked up to him so much. And I remember one time we used to play racquetball together at Cal State Bakersfield. And uh, we would go and pretend like we were students and play racquetball. I was a kid, he was a youth pastor, neither one of us were. Um, And one time the gate was closed and we would just jump over the fence when the gate was closed, this is me and my pastor. And I just thought, well, my pastor and I are doing this. It must be fine. Well, one time the campus police caught us, right? And, uh, and almost wrote us a ticket, you know, gave us a really hard time. And I had this like moment of realization, like, oh my goodness, I've been breaking the law with my pastor, you know, and the look of embarrassment on his face. And, and the, but the thing is, is like, it didn't even occur to me that that could have been something wrong because I was following my mentor and well, if he's doing it, it must be okay. You know, there's, there's a weight that comes with being a mentor. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, I think this is the call on a mentor, just generally speaking, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, so mentors, um, you're being watched. Those of us who are called to be mentors, and like I said, I think everybody is. I think we need to understand the weight of that, but but hear me when I say this. When we understand that weight what we're trying to exemplify to our mentees is not like this high standard of perfect righteousness. Like, oh, I never make a mistake, padawan, follow me, you know. I think what we're called to exemplify, and the thing that's much more helpful, is not, not exemplifying perfect righteousness, because none of us can do that, but exemplifying a pattern of confession and repentance before those who are investing in. And mentees which, again, I think should be all of us. On the flip side, I think that we need to remember that our mentors aren't Jesus. They're flawed, and they're learning just like you and I. And hopefully they're further along than you on the journey. Um, And so with that, we choose carefully, though. We choose mentors that will point us to Jesus. Okay, so let's get real practical. Let's zoom in on what mentorship looks like, specifically preaching mentorship. Um. So just some really practical points. I think there's four things for the mentor, and then I've got a few things for the mentee. So first, let me say this. I, I think that a preaching mentorship happens best when it happens within the context of full-life mentorship. And that's why I talked about mentorship in general, like I did. Um, I don't think it has to be the case. I think you can have somebody mentoring you in preaching that isn't your like full-life mentor, but I, I think, ideally, it's somebody who you're looking to um, that can speak into your whole life, including your calling to preach or to teach or to ministry. And, and here's the thing, is when we are mentoring within that whole life way, when we share our, our, our life with one another, and this goes for the mentor or the mentee, um, it's a costly thing, right? Doing life with somebody is costly, and it's also a risky thing. And I think that's necessary for a true and healthy um, mentorship relationship to to be productive. It has to be costly and it has to be risky for both. Um, And you'll see what I mean. So practically speaking, four things for the mentor. Um, Really practical kind of suggestions on how you could do this. I think if you're mentoring somebody in the area of preaching, the first thing that you can do really practically is you can bring them in on your process. Um, this is like the showing part of mentorship. Um, you show them how you study. You show them the resources you you use. Um, I like to show when I'm mentoring somebody in preaching, I like to show them my notes. In fact, I have been known to, to give somebody my notes on a Sunday morning, a copy of my notes as I'm, as I'm preaching so that they can follow along and see how I'm interacting with my, my notes, how glued to my notes am I, how am I, um, interacting with them. You can also show them your process by bringing them in on that process as like research assistants. This is like a life hack for you guys who are in ministry, right? Um, You can actually actually ask some of these guys that you're mentoring to help you study. Like give them homework, give them resources. And as you're doing that, they're getting to practice that um, process of studying and distilling information and then bringing it to you and it makes your sermon better. So that's a really good thing that you can do. So you bring them in on your process. Um, that's a pretty easy part of mentorship as a mentor, right? It gets more difficult as you go on, though. The second thing I would say is you need to give your mentees opportunity. This is this is hard, right? Calvary Chapel. If you're from a Calvary Chapel background, I recognize not all of us are. Uh, we hold the pulpit in really high regard, right? And rightfully so. Um, but the 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 truth is, is we we have to give the next generation of guys opportunity to preach. Because without doing it, they can never truly learn. This is true with just about anything, right? Um, I'm in Idaho right now. A lot of you are from this area. Um, So fly fishing is a thing around here, right? Does anybody fly fish? Yeah, some of us, right? I love to fly fish. It's not my favorite way to fish, but I do really enjoy it. Have you ever taught somebody how to fly fish? It's one of the most frustrating things in the world, and I really love my fly rod, but I've taught a lot of friends, a lot of friends, I want to learn how to fly fish, okay, I'll teach you how to fly fish, and so I always start with like telling them the concept, you know, you got to understand a concept of anything before you can actually start practicing it or doing it, so I'll explain the concept of fly fishing, this is what you're trying to do, and then I'll show them, that's my favorite part, right, because I'm just fishing, right, watch, this is how you do it, you know, Um, and they're standing and watching. But then you have to take, if they're actually going to learn, you have to take that next step, that final step of actually handing the fly rod over to the person that you're teaching. And that's the hardest step because if you've ever fly fish, you know that it could go really bad really quickly. And I have an expensive fly rod, and all it takes is one wrong whip, and all of a sudden everything is just a knotted mess. And then I'm spending the next 30 minutes untangling their mistake, right? (laughs) But without them actually having the opportunity to try, they're never going to learn. And the same is true with, with anything, including preaching mentorship. If you look back at your preaching career, you've always had somebody who's taken a risk on you, who's who's handed you the pulpit, and more than likely you've made a mess of it at least a time or two in the early days. But God is gracious, right? We have to give the next generation of preachers opportunity. And I would say that we, we, we drip feed. Um, we're intentional in the process. You don't throw somebody in the deep end to sink or swim. I, I, when I was raising up uh, Tyrone Power, who's the pastor of, of the church in Ireland that I planted years ago, um, he was petrified. He was terrified of speaking. You know, he didn't want to do it. He refused to do it. But I, I just kind of drip, drip fed it with him. I was like, hey, just do announcements this week. Okay, why don't you just do the call to worship? Okay, there's a men's study over here. Why don't you do that? And slowly but surely, you build up not only the skill, but the confidence, right? And so that's the next thing, uh, three out of four, is, is don't do the sink or swim thing. I think that's important as a mentor for a mentee. And mentees, I know the, probably most of us in here are mentees. I'm going to get to you in just a minute. But all of this is very helpful for you because this shows you what you're looking for as well. Don't do the sink or swim thing. You got to let them struggle, um, but you have to give a safe space for failure. So we we do want to give opportunity, but we don't want to push these guys and gals into the deep end. And, and um, that was really the story for many of my generation and, and older. And all you have to do to see that is you listen to the Expositors Collective podcast, right? Mike does such a great job with that. And the first question he often asks on the Expositors Collective podcast is, what was the first sermon that you preached? And I think I've listened to a lot of the episodes. I've heard like three people say that it actually went well, right? Is that accurate, Mike? Okay. About that, yeah. So you have to give a... a, a a safe place, and not throw people into the deep. And my first time teaching God's word, I was 16 or 17 years old. It was in the youth group there in Bakersfield. And it was a poolside, youth group poolside. And I was assigned like Habakkuk or something. And he's just like, good luck. You know, literally no instruction. (laughs) So I had mentorship, but not necessarily preaching mentorship. I I think I, I did a terrible, terrible job. I won't get into that. But what I started doing in, in, in later years, as I hopefully learned from my mistakes and others, um, is as I was raising somebody up to, to preach and to teach, um, I would have them prepare their first sermon and say, You're only going to sp- preach that to me. It's kind of like what you guys did, did here, right? And have um, the person that I'm, I'm raising up prepare a sermon, share it with me, I'd rip it apart. I give notes, I send them back and say, okay, prepare it again. And then the last time I did this, uh, not too long ago, was a young man. And uh, it, he preached it to me three different times. Um, and by the third time he preached that sermon to me, I was like, that's pretty good. It was a Thursday. I said, you're on this Sunday. <laughs> and he preached that same, that same sermon this this Sunday. So, okay, last thing is give constructive feedback. This event event's such a great start. Um, Keep that critique form if you have it, it's super helpful. Some tend to be too nice, others too harsh. But constructive feedback is positive, um, but it's also a a critique um, with the overall tone of encouragement. Okay, mentees, I want to talk to you guys for a minute. And again, I think this is speaking to all of us on both sides. This is for everyone. But I really specifically want to talk to the young and new preachers here, which is really what this event's geared towards, right? I would say the first thing for you is seek out a mentor. And hopefully as I'm talking about this mentorship relationship, that is making um, coming across as something that you desire, right? That you want. And hopefully this has sparked that in you as well. I would encourage you to seek out a mentor. You will be better for it. Ideally, you would find, like I was talking about earlier, a full life mentor, somebody who can mentor you in in life following Jesus, in ministry and in preaching. Um, But again, it doesn't have to be that. So, of course, the question is, is how do you find a mentor? I would say the simplest thing is you find the person that you look up to, find somebody nearby you within a, a, a safe parameter of you that you um, look up to you that you want to be more like, and you simply ask them. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of times where we just sit around waiting for um, the right person to come by and, to, like, swoop you up, but but there's something to just putting yourself out there and asking, hey, will you mentor me? And you know what the truth is, is the person that you ask might say no, and that's totally okay if they do. Um, I remember when I first moved to Ireland, I... I I was looking for an opportunity to serve in a local like Irish church where I could learn and be sent out from. And the first guy I went to was a Calvary guy in Dublin, Ireland. And I said, hey, I feel called to plant a church in this country. Can I come and serve with you? Like, I was sure he was going to be stoked to have this like, ambitious, zealous Bible college you know, graduate come out to save Ireland as the next St. Patrick. And, and, um, and I was so excited to ask him, so excited to meet him. And he immediately said, nope. No, I'm, I'm too busy. Sorry. And I was crushed, you know. But then I just kept, you know, looking around the country and making relationships. And, and uh, a little bit later, I met this guy, Andy, I talked to you about. And, and he welcomed me. And I'm really, really thankful now uh, that the first guy said no and the second guy said yes. And so maybe there's a relationship that you're making here with your group leader um, that you feel like, hey, we really connected um, that could mentor you. Um, but maybe it's in your local church, but I'd encourage you, ask, look, and ask, seek out a mentor. Second thing for you mentees, as you're in this place where you feel called to teach God's word, you find a mentor. The second thing I would say is work hard. Work hard. That's back to the sentence in the handbook when it says a preaching mentorship includes a worthy mentor, yes, who takes the time to offer input opportunities and feedback to a willing mentee. But the William Mentee works hard to steward what is entrusted to them. Friends, preaching God's word and teaching God's word is a lot of work. You experience that today, right? If it isn't a lot of work, you're doing it wrong. Okay? If you you went to your hotel last night, it's like, yeah, no big deal. I'll wing it in the morning. I don't know what you're doing here. And if you take that posture towards teaching God's word, that's a dangerous place to be. It's hard work. It's not, of course, merely hard work. Like Brian did such a great job today talking about our dependency on the spirit. And the the spirit, of course, empowers and inspires and leads us and guides us. But we are called to put in the effort to be good stewards of the calling that we have from God and to rightly divide his word of truth. If you're not willing to put in the work to fan that gift into flame. Of course, it is a gift from God. Then you're going to lose your mentor and you're not going to be faithful to the calling God placed on you. So, mentees work hard. Okay, kind of the final thing. And this is a rule that I operated under for um, many years in my early ministry. Not so much anymore. I think it's something that you can kind, of, kind of times out. But this is a principle. Ready? Never ask and never say no. For new and young Bible teachers, I would encourage you to never ask and never say no. Let me explain what I mean by by this. Um, New and young Bible teachers tend to have one or both of these characteristics. Ambition and nerves and fear, right? Ambition and nerves and fear. I I remember being... um, you know, a young man, younger man with a sense of calling to preach and teach. I was simultaneously super ambitious. I desperately wanted opportunities to preach and to be behind a pulpit and to teach God's word. Um, And I was also terrified of the idea of doing that very thing. I longed to be asked to preach, but when I was asked to preach, I would freak out. I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't be able to eat. All sorts of other things would happen in my body that I won't tell you about right now because it's not appropriate. It was a really, a pretty intense thing. And I think that's a common experience for new uh, and young Bible teachers. And we can err in one of two ways here with that experience, that common experience. First, fleshly ambition can come up when you have a sense of calling to teach God's word that can cause us to try to bulldoze our way into an opportunity. Young men especially can obsess over the position of pastor and pulpit Right? Because we look up to our pastors and we see that as a very honorable position. And, and there's some glory there, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we watch the pastor up on stage and he gets the glory. And part of our flesh wants that. But let me just say this to you. And I'm not saying that's not something that women struggle with. But, but especially in our tradition, like men want to be pastors when they feel that sense of calling. Let me just say this really clearly. If God's called you, he will open the doors of opportunity in his timing. You don't have to try to kick them open. Young men and women, if you call a, sense a call to leadership and or preaching, I would say right now, your primary focus needs to be less on the function of that calling and more on the character that qualifies you for that calling, okay? And this is what I mean by never ask. I would hate it if you went back from Expositors Collective to your local church and you said, Pastor, I went to Expositors Collective. I'm ready to preach next Sunday. Your pastor would be like, oh, Billy, God bless you. That's just wrong. I mean, I can tell you, and any lead pastor in here can tell you, if somebody comes up looking for the pulpit, that's an immediate red flag. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal, okay? Don't ask. Focus on fanning into flame that gift and growing in the character that qualifies you for that calling. God will provide the opportunity. He'll open the doors. So the second side of this, though, is when God opens the door, fear and nerves can potentially cause us to shrink away from something that God is calling us to. Um, like I said, it is a scary thing to stand in front of people and to communicate, right? How do you feel now compared to this morning, right? Especially those of you who are new, like, like I was saying in the beginning, don't you feel so much like, oh, but this morning you were probably pretty nervous, Maybe you were having some of those body things that we're not talking about. I don't know. It can be a very scary, scary thing. It's a true statistic. I double checked this morning that the number one fear um, or phobia is public speaking. People would rather die than public speak, right? That's crazy. Number two is either spiders or death. I don't know. We would hate for timidity or fear to prevent us from doing something that God opens the doors. So I had that rule early in my ministry. No matter how scary an opportunity was, I would just say yes and trust God. Unless God very clearly said no, right? And there's times for that. But then when somebody gives you an opportunity, the, the, no matter how unqualified you feel, no matter how scary it is, no matter intimi- how intimidating it is, you say yes and you trust God if you have a call in that direction. And so I would say that never ask and never say no. So conclusion no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus and your ministry, you're called to be a disciple making disciples. Be a mentor and be a mentee. You're never too experienced to be mentor and you're ne- mentored and you and I would even say you're never too young to be mentoring others. Calvary Chapel was born out of people getting saved and two months later planting churches key is, is you're always a little bit ahead of and and a little bit behind somebody in your walk with Jesus. So you find one of each and you're in a good place. Okay. Um, So seasoned pastors, I would again, encourage you to take risks on the young guys God brings you. Remember who you were when God called you. And then young and new men and women who are called to teach the Bible, be humble, seek out mentors and lean into those relationships. Thanks.
1: Thanks, you stay up here. So now we're gonna move into a time of our second and final uh, panel discussion. So Brian, Tucker, and Troy, would you please come on up here? And you know, this is some very practical issues of of mentorship, and so uh, I would love to field questions that have to do with coaching, mentorship, discipleship. At least let's start out that way, and then it might devolve into just anything or everything. But Clay, it's the first question for you is you talk about having, like, using mentees as, like, a research assistant. Could you maybe give an example of what it is that you have them look up for you?
0: Um, yeah, so what I would do, like, is, you know, Brian mentioned, yes, no, yeah, on the panel yesterday. Um, he used to read, like, 15 commentaries. And then you come to realize, like, you can't, you just can't do that. Um, but there's oftentimes, like, some really good nuggets in, uh, just about you know anything you can look at and so if you have 15 commentaries but you want to read three of them you can just assign three or four of them to each one of your mentors and say hey read this and give me some quotes like research assistants it's it's a it's a good practice and it benefits you um, or have them read the text and give you some big ideas or some ideas you can you can run your thought pro- like what nick was talking about yesterday you can you can run your your thought process um over with with them or or have them give input on your sermon as you're processing it. All that kind of stuff is beneficial because they're involved in the process, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Any other, any questions? All right. Uh, And could you all like arrange your questions so that it's like people you're sitting next to so I don't have to run around anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, for the group. How important is it to define the relationship? Like, do you need parameters that, okay, I have this mentee, he or she knows that they're my mentee? Or can you look around and be like, eh, I'm helping people out and I, I aspire to be like this person. And then so maybe their mind is important to define those those kind of relationships.
0: Are, are you are you asking from the perspective of the mentee or the mentor? Both. Both.
1: I think because it, an easy maybe um, takeaway is I think there are people around me who look at me and, and think, okay, this is a man or woman of God. They're going to want to shadow me or walk around with me. And then you could say, I aspire to be like, you know, whoever, Tim Keller, he's my mentor.
0: No, he's not. I'll start, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the microphone. I think it's helpful, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think, especially in regards to having clear commitments in a relationship that that is this type of relationship, like Blake, you and I. We have a standing meeting every Monday at. Uh, on my way into work, right? And we know that that's an expectation that we both have. And we've, um, so I think that they're, they're absolutely, especially if it's a, um, a preaching mentorship or a ministry mentorship where you, you're actually in, investing in somebody for the purpose of raising them in, up into ministry, having that defined, not just like, hey, this is what our relationship is, but also having expectations going in regards to going both directions clearly laid out and determined, right? And, and maybe that's more like a, an internship in your context, or, or maybe it's not, maybe it's less formal than that, but but having expectations clearly communicated, I think, is is not ever a bad thing.
2: Yeah, I would add. Um, I I firmly believe in homework, <laughs> and so when it's clearly defined, then there can be expectations for what the homework is. So I don't like to go into these things where you know it's just kind of like sitting there chatting about what's going on. Like you can do some of that, but I like to have to be more intentional and purposeful than that. So I believe in homework, and then and then then you see what their uh, as as far as a mentor goes you can see what their um commitment level is then too you know like I've heard um Pastor Paul say before you know you hit them a grounder and uh you know if they bend down and pick it up and throw it back well now you're playing catch and then you can give them the next thing and so I've done that with a lot of people and I do that a lot with through homework And so we should do something together. I'm reading a bunch of different books with different people uh, that I'm mentoring. And not only does it help me (laughs) as a mentor, but it also makes it more official that way. So yeah, sure, you can have some relationships that maybe aren't as clearly defined, and that's fine. But for, for most of this kind of thing that we're talking about here, I think that it has to be pretty clear.
1: Yeah, excellent. We got another question over here. Hello. Uh, In mentorship, I think
3: a lot of us, and this is from personal experience, we can really mentor our mentee. But what are some helpful things to get the mentee to continue that mentorship to their mentee? In other words, how do you become a grandparent or a great-grandparent type of a mentor? That's for you, Brian. Brian. Well. I am a grandparent, for sure. Um, I think that's a modeling thing, really. Um, you know, my, my experience in, in mentoring, uh, so Clay you know, said that I've been one of his mentors, but we've never had an official conversation about, hey, you know, would you mentor me or, yeah, I'll mentor you um so there's there's different ways to go about it. I wish in some ways I wish I was more organized, like homework and and books and things, but m- my personality hasn't lent itself so much to that um, my my style of mentorship has been basically just you know hanging out with people, <laughs> which is really fun um. But I know for a fact that that has influenced those that I've hung out with to kind of learn to do the same. Uh, I have friends that have told me that one of the, and and these are more peers, not people I've so much mentored, but um, I've indirectly mentored them in this regard in that they've watched me and said, you know, I, I need to be more like that. I need to be more accessible, I need to be more relational, maybe I'm I'm just too busy and I need to slow down. So sometimes I think it is just, um, it's by example.
0: So, so yeah, just speak from my perspective in that, right, and how Brian has influenced me in the way that I mentor others, is he mentioned that accessibility. So, you know, I met Brian uh, as a, but almost Bible college graduate. He didn't know me from from anybody. And he was kind of a big deal, at, you know, at the time. I mean, still is. Look at him. Um, and, and so I was nervous about going up and, and talking to him for the first time. You probably don't even remember it, Ryan, um, about my call to Ireland. And I did. And and I expected him to be like, that's nice. Good for you. Good luck. But he didn't. He said, come to Costa Mesa. I got to introduce you to John Henry. He's an Irish guy that's on staff with us and let's talk. And then he bought me a plane ticket, sent me to Ireland. And from that point forward, he was accessible to me. I was nobody, you know, I think the spirit just spoke to him that there was a call in my life. He's done this for dozens and dozens of guys though, you know? Um, and, and there was never a time when I felt like Brian was inaccessible, whether it be, I needed to make a phone call or I was coming into town and have a meeting. And so that's something that's hugely influenced me in regards to how I want to be towards those who might look up to me, you know? Um, so yeah, that example is don't underestimate the example that you're setting um, uh, for those who, who might emulate you. All right. Here's another the question
4: kind of speaking to what you were talking about, Brian earlier. Um, how do you balance the aspect of like, there's the study of the word, but, the prayer, like how how do you kind of approach the prayer side of preparing the service Like you said, ten thousand hours to be you know the perfect speaker, but what aspect of prayer um, goes into like your sermons?
3: Yeah, I yeah, I'm a firm believer in um, pray without ceasing, in the sense that it's just a it's one of those things where wesley Wesley put it like this like a thousand times a day, I am just in communication with God in the sense that you know I'm not stopping and kneeling down somewhere necessarily you know, going into a deep time of intercession, but it's just Lord, <laughs> um, oh, Lord, give me insight on this, uh, Lord, help me on that, and then for me, of course, you know going into my very specific preparation. Lord, help me in this. Coming out of my preparation, Lord, help me now to take what I've prepared and bring it to your people. So it's more of a just kind of praying on the move, Uh, you know. I, I have other times of prayer that are more focused, but they're not generally about my preaching. They're just more about, you know, life and other things, so.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I often will pray um, some of the same things that before I teach our church. For example, I almost always pray that I that the Lord would help me not to beat the sheep, <laughs> you know, that uh, grace would come across in what I'm talking about, you know, and that uh, I would, of course... Um, you know, do the things that we've done here this weekend would be to emphasize Jesus in the text and and those kind of things. So I I, I will often, you know, just, even between services, because we have two services, and I will ask the Lord to, to um, give me uh, an extra measure of strength to go through it the second time and not just do it like I've just, you because know, I did it once, and and to be able to to ask for God's help through the second time, that I would have energy and I would speak to those people, because it's kind of a separate congregation, and they need to hear something from the Lord too, and that I wouldn't just mail it in, because I already know it now. So I, I pray for those kind of things a lot, and don't just assume, um, and I think maybe Brian talked a little bit about that in his message, that you just can't assume that, that that's going to happen. We, we want to ask that he would do that. So I do those.
4: Um, interesting question, specifically for sermon preparation, but uh, but my answer would actually include also the theme of mentorship. Um, any pastor on staff at this church, Calvary Boise, lives downstream of Pastor Bob Caldwell, all of our pastors, except for a few um, were really part of his mentorship. And he modeled for us and uh, really not only modeled, but invited us into a day of prayer that happened weekly. Uh, so for, and th- th- this was um, really a discipline in mentorship that covered sermon writing, preaching for Noah. It covered preparation for worship. It covered um all sorts of things, because it was an entire day of prayer and fasting once a week. We would go every Thursday to Garden Valley, and and, and I know that um, anyone who's part of Calvary Boise knows that that was just part of our rhythm, and that has been now part of the the DNA of our pastoral team. And so we, for a while, we did it once a month, just a day of prayer. Uh, We recently have brought it back to a once month commitment and then invitation for anyone who wants to come. And I will say that that has been something that um, is so, it would have been so difficult for me to just have done that as the lead pastor, but um, it was a gift from pastor Bob to us to have an anchor day (laughs) When you are in ministry, when you're a preacher, when you're a pastor, when you're just you know a follower of Jesus, that question, how do you implement prayer, is one of the hardest ones to get right. And I think it's as uh, important in parallel to defining the relationship with a mentor and a mentee. Defining our relationship with God through a committed prayer life is very challenging. And so to have a day where we were called to pray, and it, was, it still is a challenging day to do. At 7 a.m., we meet at a gas station, and then we spend an hour together and then three hours in the woods and by the river. And its you'd be surprised. It sounds nice from here, but you'd be surprised how often you think, I do not have time <laughs> for another day of prayer. Um, but it is. I would say it's, it's something that God give, gave us as a team, and it's been amazing, and it's part of mentorship for us. So, And I would include that in the way that we're mentoring people. Thank you for being on this side. <laughs> I appreciate that.
3: Um, so my question is about how to choose who to ask to be your mentor. Um, like, in my situation, I've decided, OK, Calvary's going to be my home church. I want to plug in. But like, it's kind of nerve wracking seeing these people in leadership and thinking like, oh, they must be too busy. You know or like they must already have so many mentors, like how do you decide who to go up and ask?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say a few things. One, I just don't think it's helpful to have an immediate assumption that somebody's too busy, right? People say that about me nowadays a lot, and I, and I hate it, you know there's everybody's busy, but that doesn't mean they're too busy for a person, okay, so just put that aside. Um, but like I said, you might ask somebody and they might say no because they don't have the, the time to do it. And that's OK, too. Um, so from there, I would look at two things. One, I would start with. Um, somebody that you look at and you say, "Okay, I, I want to follow Jesus like they're following Jesus, right? Or or serve Jesus like they're serving Jesus. Like looking at, at somebody, not saying I want to be just like that person because a mentor mentee relationship is not like reproduction of who this person is exactly, but um, the ability to to learn." From the person as they follow Jesus, become more like Jesus through that person, not become more like that person, right? So, um, so I would start there. Like, who do you look up to and and say, "I want, I want to learn these things from this person that I see in this person." Um, but then also the other half of it is is who is within your well realm of of contact. So you know, Blake said, Tim Keller's my, my mentor, right? Like Tim Keller's not going to be any of our mentors. (laughs) So you have to look around like, okay, who do I actually have access to? And do I want to, um, you know, learn from, because I see things in them that I want to be able to emulate. Um, and, uh, and then just start asking. And it may take asking a few people before you find somebody who God actually, Speaks to and says and calls them to to do it. So don't take nos personally, um, and then just keep looking. You know, anybody else? I would add,
1: since you asked, <laughs> um, I would add maybe maybe the question isn't like who should I ask to be my mentor. Maybe don't ask someone to be your mentor. Maybe to say maybe to have a more specific ask because the idea of mentorship can it can be so all encompassing. And maybe you have something in mind when you ask that, but then someone can hear that as, well, will I be a, a surrogate parent for you for the rest of, of your life, you know? And some people don't have time for that, but that's not actually what you mean. And so perhaps to see somebody with some admirable role models and say, you know, I really like the way that you handle the Bible that way. Could would we have a chance to, could we get lunch and could you talk about that with me? Or, or the way that you parent is, is really notable, and do you have time to talk to me about that? So maybe rather than mentorship, which feels huge and a lifelong commitment, but it's like, I'd like to learn about that from you, would you have time in the next two to three months to get lunch with me, and I'd love to ask questions about this? Um, for me, I really appreciate that type of stuff, when someone asks me about a specific task, and I, and I know what it is going into the conversation, I feel that they're gonna benefit because I've put thought into it. And then also, I'm, I'm, it's so easy to say yes to those things because it's, it's a little bit defined, and then it can grow from there. So I would say, I, maybe the best way to get a mentor is to not ask for one, but <laughs> to find a, uh, what's it called, a, a, what was your sentence? A notable, a worthy, a worthy role model, and then find out what it is about that person and then ask that, and then who knows. And if it doesn't continue on, who cares? You got lunch and some good advice.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: I know. <laughs> uh, maybe one final question before we move into uh, Tucker's talk on
0: finding your own voice. So how do you guys get trained, mentored? Who do, you, do you have like retreats, getaways, re, um, you know, conferences? What do you guys do for your, your training and
4: instruction? At the moment, I just have a mentor that I meet with, John Whitaker, who you guys heard last night. We have a standing meeting, um, and he uh, gives me his worst, and um, before that, I had Tom Velasco, and there was a little dry spell in between the two mentors, but I just had a guy, and I meet with him, and um, of course, all other extracurricular workshops and conferences, stuff like this, um, I feel like... I've been mentored throughout these last couple of days, but I just have a standing meeting with one guy and, um, by God's grace, it was someone that he brought into our church and we just made a connection. And, and now we meet at a coffee shop and, and he, uh, he gives me all sorts of grace and ideas. So.
2: Yeah, there's a guy in our church that's a retired, uh, retired, uh, senior Calvary Chapel pastor for his, in a ministry for 30 years and then they moved here to be around their grandkids and, and he's at our church and I just connected to him and we meet regularly. So he's uh, a mentor of mine and, and uh, you know, that's been really helpful to me and it seems like I keep having one of these guys in my life over the years. So that's, that's been a blessing, but you know, I get mentored. I feel like through, you know, we have our monthly Calvary Chapel pastors Uh, lunch just treasure valley here and so i feel like i get mentored that way too through my peers you know and then of course through uh I just, there's a kind of a distant mentorship I feel like I get just from r- reading what some of the, the great men before me say and do and did. And and I, I'm encouraged in those things too, you know, even though I've never met them and a lot of them are in heaven now, you know. But th- I think those three ways have helped me a lot.
3: Um you know, it's, it's interesting that being in the ministry for, you know, like four decades now, you, you realize that different things kind of come and go over periods of time. Uh, back in my day, uh, ment- mentoring wasn't really even anything that anybody talked about so much. Um, as far as ministry went, you sort of just... You just learned as you went and you looked up to somebody maybe you you kind of tried to model yourself after maybe the way they preached or just what you saw them doing in life and ministry but but there was no official identifying of a of a mentor. Uh, Mike asked me recently because he wants to do something on the podcast about people sharing a little bit about their mentors and he sent me a, a request to do it. And I said, I, do, I don't really, I, I don't know. I don't know what I, what I would even say. Um And then I thought, well, I, you know, probably for me, I would, I would have to say pastor Chuck was my, my mentor. Um, but I never necessarily thought that that's what was happening at the time. Um, I had the unique relationship with him being my father-in-law as well. So, um, and I I learned a ton of stuff from them. I learned stuff about being a, a parent, and I learned um, you know just stuff about being being a responsible adult. And um, and and obviously, I learned a lot of things about scripture and about ministry and uh, that. But I, I I never thought of it in terms. Uh, it was more just happening around me. And I wasn't consciously thinking that that's what was going on, you know. So I, th- I think nowadays there's more talk about mentorship and mentee and all of that. So um, I don't know that that you have to feel that. Oh no, I don't. I don't have a mentor. That you're somehow missing out. You probably do. You're just not haven't necessarily identified it like that. And, and I think what you said, Troy, is true as well. Because when I was talking to Mike, I, I mentioned, you know, somebody who greatly influenced my, my, my preaching or the way I wanted to understand scripture and communicate scripture. Uh, but I did all of that through reading their material rather than actually having any kind of personal contact with them because they were in heaven and I just I couldn't arrange a meeting, you know, so.
1: All right. Well, Hey, thanks a bunch. Thanks to Clay. Thanks to the panel. Thanks to those who asked those questions. It has been a learning experience for all of us to get to listen in. It's appreciated. Hey, if some of you are, are frustrated that it's over so quickly, if you want to hear more about mentorship and how it works and advice, you gotta check out the show notes because there's at least four other episodes that we've done over the past few years on this subject. It's important to us, and that's why we talk about it again and again and again. I wanna highlight an episode that I put together last year, and it is essentially testimonials and stories of 11 different preachers honoring those who mentored them in the past. Uh, You'll hear Brian Broderson. He mentioned that I was trying to talk him into contributing something for this episode, and he eventually did, and you can hear that there, along with John Tyson and some other preachers that you might be familiar with. So make sure you follow that link. Also, here's a favor. It would mean a lot to me and to our community if you would leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Doing that will help us in a few different ways. Uh, Number one, it'll make me feel good. And that's the most important thing, right? (laughs) But more than that, as the show continues to grow and reach more preachers, I believe that is only going to have a positive impact on the sermons that they preach and then the spiritual health of those whom they're caring for. And then also, just on kind of a side note, uh, kind of the more reach that we have, uh, that impacts the quality of guests that we're able to get on the show. So it's going to help others, and it might even help you, by being a small step that improves the quality of guests in future shows. Uh, Publishers, and agents and all that. Um, they actually look at those stats far more than I do. And it's a helpful way. It's a free contribution that you can make towards this show going further and wider. So thanks for listening all the way to the end. I would love to see you in Temecula, California or in Indianapolis, Indiana. I hope that all that we do at Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word.